welcome to week five of Bible study. It is wonderful to be gathered together. Uh, just a quick reminder for you before we get into our content today. Um, we have fellowship week ne next week. So again, this isn't supposed to be a break from study, but it actually gives you two weeks to tackle the plagues. Um, because if you looked ahead, you know that the plagues are four chapters long. And so it's quite extensive. It's a little bit heavier on the homework as well. So I would recommend that you give yourself two weeks to slowly work your way through that, and I think it will be a great benefit to you. I also encourage you to talk as a group today about what you're going to be doing for Fellowship Week. If you still need ideas, please see Janine or I, and we can give you a few ideas of how um, you might be able to gather together and enjoy some time together next week. Um, that's a really important part of what we do because it helps to solidify your bond as a group and just to enjoy um, being in the presence of fellow believers. And so I think it'll be a wonderful time together and that you will enjoy that a lot. I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer, and then we're going to be hearing from Jason this morning. So if you would bow your heads with me, please. Father, as we come in before your word this morning, um, we thank you for the time that we got to spend studying this week, um, time that we were able to set aside every single day just to spend time with you and your word. Uh, we thank you for the things that we glean from the text, for the different ways we saw your character, uh, for the different ways we saw you as a personal God, as a God who keeps his promises, and as a deliverer. Lord, I pray that you would speak through Jason this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts to be able to hear um, what we need to hear, um, and that we would just walk away this morning um, with a greater love and appreciation for you um, and for, what, uh, for the way that you love us, um, and for the way that your word speaks to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good. You didn't know already we were going to be in Exodus. So if you would turn to Exodus chapter 5. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt so ready for what's next? Whether you are going on a trip, you have everything planned out, and you get in the car and everything's packed, and when you get down the road and you realize you forgot something. Or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe like in my situation, uh, I was, I was thinking about this as uh, looking at this text that we're going to look at today. I was just recently in California with Braden, our oldest son, checking out some colleges. And we, uh, you know, to get to certain colleges, you got to get on freeways and freeways and, you know, a lot of traffic. We were, we were, uh, we were going to go check out a school and had everything figured out and, you know, with, uh, you know, are you dressed? Yes, I'm dressed. I'm dressed. You're dressed? Okay. We're in the car, we get the, uh, all, of our, all the things we need to go check out the school, pull up the map, you know, how long it's going to take, okay, we're going to get there 15, 20 minutes early, we're going to be good, it's going to be great, and then uh, we start the drive, it's good, and then all of a sudden, bam, we hit traffic, and if you've ever been to California, Los Angeles, traffic, it can be one of the most stressful things, because you're thinking, the map said that we'd be there early, but there's no way we're going to get there, and the traffic can just throw curveball. Well, it, it all worked out in the end, but it kind of reminds me of this text that we're going to look at today, where 
With the end of chapter four, it just feels like everything's ready to go. Every, you know, the, the bags are packed. Um, everybody's in agreement about what's going to happen next. And it seems pretty clear. It seems just by the way that it lays out, the way that uh, those who put the chapters and the verses in the Bible, they put it, they put, they create this nice little break. So we get to the end of chapter four, and Jenna took, took us through that passage uh, last week um, and did a great job, by the way. I don't know about you, but I, I have really been enjoying sitting under the teaching of Jenna as we've gone through this. But chapter four ends, the people believed after Moses and Aaron spoke to them. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. It was just this nice ending. It's like, this is going to be good. We're going to, we're going to get, we're going to, this is going to happen. All that we've been talking about, all that Moses has been learning from God and, and what the plan is and what he's been building up to, it's going to happen. That people are going to be able to be set free from, from Pharaoh, from Egypt. But we get to chapter 5. And verse 1 starts, and it's like we hit traffic. We hit, the, we hit some obstacles. And uh, it appears that uh, as we go through this text, we, we, we're just going to be kind of stuck in traffic almost the whole time. And sometimes that's how life goes. Where we, we have an idea of what we're going to do. We feel ready for it. We're, we're looking ahead to what's, what's in store. And we get stuck. We get stuck in traffic. And we're looking for, maybe we can go this way, maybe we can go that way, maybe we could, you know, take this detour, maybe we could somehow drive over the top of the cars, whatever, whatever it might be. We've we got to get through this, but we get stuck. And we're going to be looking at a passage today that, that deals with that. Uh, and we're going to see how Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel respond as they are stuck in traffic, and yet this whole time, God knows exactly what God's doing. And there's a there's a, there's a there's there's clearly something that God is working in this in the midst of this story. And uh, we see how God continues to be, as we've talked about before, a personal and present God who, who remembers his promises and delivers his people. And that's that's what we're gonna see. And that's who the people are gonna see. So chapter five, verse one. Same, things seem to be going pretty well. Afterward, verse 1, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh. By the way, I read, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, if, if any of you, um, if that matters to anyone. If you're reading along and you're wondering why my words might be a little different than yours, that's why. It's not that I think it's so much better than any other translation. It's just the one that I've got right here. All right? I think the NIV is great as well, and other translations. I know that our study, is our study, NIV, is it working good? ESV? I think. Oh, did I tell you that I got in late last night from California? <laughs> yeah, that's not important. All right. ESV. Well, so if you're using ESV, great. All right. Verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, so that, or ESV says that, NIV says, so that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So, immediately right off the bat, they have this, uh, this call, and we've heard this before, that, that God wants that, uh, Moses to ask for this, that they would go out into the wilderness so that they may hold a feast or a festival or a, a covenant ceremony type thing uh, to, to their God. And this is, this is key. This is key in, the, in that what we read here at the beginning. 
the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may hold a festival. We've been talking a lot about how God is the God of deliverance, and how he remembers his promises, and how he wants to set the people free. But we can't miss the fact that here, when Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh and say this is, the, this is what they desire, the purpose is not just so that the people would be free from slavery. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me, so that they may come and worship me. And that's key. It's not just, it's not just a God who's, who wants to see slavery and, okay, you need to be free. There is, a, there is an intention by God that they, the people would have an opportunity to redirect who they, who they draw their worship to and who they, who they consider, who they belong to. It's not just so that they would be free. I mean, you can imagine that. It's not just so that they, you know, okay, you're free now. Go do what you need to do or go do what you want to do. It's, no, it's they are set free so that, that they may become worshipers of Yahweh and that they might find, they might find him in this, in, this, uh, in this feast in the wilderness. Verse 2, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and it let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and more, moreover, I will not let Israel go. All right. It's not so much, we see this here, that this Pharaoh, which, by the way, is a different Pharaoh than the one that we, we are introduced to in chapter 1. And there's been some time since uh, the patriarchs at, Gen at the end of Genesis. There's clearly been some time... Of, of getting to know God. We're going to come to that in just a little bit. But we see that Pharaoh's like, I don't know who this God is that you speak of. Now, it's unlikely that this kind of king of Egypt would not know about this God of the Canaanites, of the, or this God of, the, the, uh, of Israel. It's unlikely. However, it is very likely that he does not know this God. Does that make sense? He knows about, but he does not know what this God can do, right? So there, I think that's what's trying to be communicated here. This, this Pharaoh's probably aware of the God that we know of as Yahweh. However, he does not know Yahweh. As he, and you know what that's like. There's people that you know about, and you kind of know, but then there's people that you really know. You know their character. You know the, the way that they work. You know that you know the kinds of things that they like to do. The kinds of things that they won't do. Pharaoh's probably not very conscientious of what God can and is going to do. And so that's I think that's what we see here happening in verse two. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. In one sense, it's it's a fair question. What? Why? Why should I do this? I have a great army of slaves who, who do my work. Why, 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 how does this benefit me as Pharaoh? How does this, how does this help me? Why would I do this? Well, well, we'll see. <laughs> this, is, this is the beginning of, like, this is why Pharaoh's going to need some, some plagues. And I love the way that Jenna said that earlier. You have two weeks to work through the plagues, or... It's so nice for us, you know, <laughs> with our cup of coffee in the mornings. I just work through these plagues. I really have to actually deal with frogs crawling, falling from the sky. 
Um, but yeah, just you know, just enjoy yourself as you work through those plagues. But Pharaoh is. Then we see the beginning of this introduction of that he is going to need something to get his attention, and the, that's why that we're getting set up here for the plagues that are about to come, which we're not even going to get to today. But you will get to them. You will get to enjoy them. Uh, verse uh, three. Then they said, "The God of Hebrews has met with us." Please let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. There's so many interesting things there. And I'm, I, I don't, you know, we don't have time to spend all, all of our time there. But for one, they want to sacrifice to the Lord. This is that connection of that festival to the Lord. This is very much like a, uh, a, a covenantal ceremony that they want to practice with God. Now, the, the idea is, when we talked about, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is that this, you know, it, are, they, are, they, are they being deceitful? You know, let's just go out for three days, and it's, it's an implied that they, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come back, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about us, what, we just got to go worship and then come back. I don't think that's the case. I think what's, what's being stressed is that they are going to be leaving, and they need to, they need to go. It's, it's a three days journey to where they need to go. I'm not sure there's any intention that they're going to, they're trying to suggest to Pharaoh that they will be coming back, but that's, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know exactly what's being said there, but I think that's the idea. Three days journey, that's a ways, a ways away, and they, they want to go to a place, why not, why not just do it in Egypt? Why not just say, hey, can we, can we circle up, everybody can we, you know, circle up, grab some guitars, can we just have a little worship ceremony to Yahweh here in Egypt? The idea is that any festival at this, at this time, when we think about what's happening in Egypt, when we think about this time period, any festival, any worship celebration is supposed to happen or ideally happens at the location of that God, right? The temple of the God that they will be worshiping. And so the idea for Israel people here, Israelite people here, is that they would go to where the presence of God would be. And what, what do we know where that would be? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Sinai. Yeah, Mount Hor, Sinai, the, the, where, the mountain of God. And so that, that, that's the idea. They would go to where that, 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 that God, the, the temple of that God is. Well, we know that here is the mountain that, that uh, Moses is interacting, has interacted with God. So that's the idea, that they would go to that place. And what we, interesting foreshadow, uh, and we're not going to get to it in Exodus, but it does happen, is we all know the story of the golden calf, right? That's essentially the kind of thing that's happening in the story of the golden calf. It is a festival. It is a, it is a ceremony of worship where they believe, you know, they're, they're worshiping God at his presence. The problem is they do it wrong. They make an image to, to represent this God that cannot... This, that we should, that we know later with the Ten Commandments that you shall not make great an image of. You shall not make an image of this God that we are worshiping. And so that they, they do it a little bit wrong later on in Exodus, but that's the same idea. They're going to have this festival of worship to God. And, and ideally, this is a covenant celebration with God. The Golden Calf episode is kind of anti-covenant, but... That's for another day. But that's the idea that, that that's happening. All right? So, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. 
that's interesting to me. I, I, I don't know if I'm missing something, but they seem to suggest that, you know, God's going to punish us if we can't. But I, I don't know where they get that from. I don't know, unless I'm missing, unless, Jenny, you, you taught last week. I, <laughs> so, I, something, I kind of think about that with my kids, you know, like, like exaggerating what might, might be if they don't get what they, you know, are looking for. It's like, it seems to be like this exaggeration or trying to, trying to prove their point to Pharaoh, why this is a big deal. But anyways, they say, we need to do this or our God will punish us. Verse 4, but the king of Egypt said to, said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you may make them rest from their and you make them rest from their burdens. Verse 6, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. All right, so the king of Egypt says, you want to take these people out? They need to get back to their work. They need to get back. They... they He's, he describes it here in the ESV as being idle. They are idle. I think that's very soft. I think he, he's saying they're lazy. Or uh, the Jerusalem study Bible says they're, shirk, they're shirkers. They're shirking their responsibilities. Or we might use the term slackers. They're slacking. They're, la they're lazy. They're idle. And you want to go do this? Here's what I'm going to do. Before... They were provided the materials to make the bricks. They were given the materials, they made the bricks. But now, they're going to go get the straw. They're going to go get the materials to make the bricks. Clearly, they've got time on their hands. So now that they can do that and take care of that work. He says, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. So, the... The expectation, the, the, the bottom line is not changing. They're going to have to make the same amount of bricks, only now they got to go get the supplies. The, the, Pharaoh is definitely setting up a conflict, or in the midst of a conflict, with Moses and Aaron, and ultimately with Yahweh. He is, he is, he is, the, he is a roadblock. He is a traffic jam. And God has to break this traffic jam. And, and interesting, you know, at the end of chapter 2, we looked at that a couple weeks ago, the, the Israel, Israelites cry in the wilderness, and God hears their cry. And in very much a different sense, Pharaoh is the one that's being cried out to here, and he's a roadblock between, between the cry of, of Israel and to God. And Pharaoh's standing in the way. And, and doing what he can to make this difficult. So, uh, verse 8, You shall by no means reduce what they're required, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work, or as, um, or as the NIV, I think it's the NIV, it says, make their work harder, give them harder work. 
And that word hard, that's interesting. The word hard, I was, uh, I, I, I was seeing that the, um, the word hard work is very similar to the verb that's used later to describe Pharaoh's hard heart. So there's a connection there with him saying, make their work hard. And then we later see that Pharaoh's heart is hard and it's the same verb that's being used. So there's a connection point there in just that, in just that word. That, that's kind of cool stuff where you see that it's like, oh, there's so much happening in, in just these words that are being used. And sometimes we, we miss it in our English translations. Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Or, as one translation says, pay no regard to deceitful promises. Pharaoh is basically saying, these promises that you believe in from your God, they're deceitful. So he's not only accusing the Israelites of being lazy in their work, he is also saying that what they are hearing is deceit. The promises of this God, not, they're not going to come through. So Pharaoh's, again, roadblock. He's a traffic jam in what's happening here. Verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw, go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work and your daily task each day as, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom, Pharaoh ta whom Pharaoh's taskmasters were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? So they're not able to keep up. They're not able to keep up, and the taskmasters and the foremen are getting a word from Pharaoh. This is not working out. They, they are not doing the job that they need to do. Verse 15, Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? So these are the these are the the form these are like the uh, you have your slaves you have your is, Israeli slaves you have the foremen who are the uh, people of Israel who are in charge of the slaves and then you have the Egyptian taskmasters who are over the foremen so there's the connection there the taskmasters and the foremen kind of work together to get the people to do their work the foremen of the people of Israel verse 15 came and cried to Pharaoh why do you treat your servants like this no straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle or lazy or shirkers. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Again, you say you can go sacrifice to the Lord, it's because you're being lazy. Because you're being lazy. And we see, basically, but what we see here is they're not, they're not being lazy. They're asked to do even more work, and they're trying to keep up. But this is how Pharaoh sees it. Verse 18, go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. I have this picture in my mind, I don't know how accurate it is, but I have this picture in my mind 
of Moses and Aaron kind of standing outside the, the throne room or wherever Pharaoh was sitting in, just kind of like, man, I hope this meeting is going well. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope what's going on in there. I hope they come out with a good report. And, you know, they're just waiting outside the door. And the doors burst open. The foremen come out. And Moses and Aaron immediately know ah, that meeting did not go well. That's, that is not what we were hoping for. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. They said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks. Verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them that this, this is not the report they wanted to hear. They said to him, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. At the end of four, things were going so well. They were all on the same page. End of chapter four. They knew, they, they believed what God had said. They worshiped the Lord together. They were, they, they, they were prepared for the, for, for the task ahead. And now they come out of this meeting with Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron are standing there. And they say, this is, this is your fault. You did this. You, before we, we were just doing our work, we just, you know, it was hard work. We were slaves. We didn't like it. But at least, at least we could get our work done. At least we could do the things that we needed to do. Now you've made a stink in the sight. Every time Pharaoh thinks of us, one translation says, you have made us abhorrent in the, in the, in the, in, in, in the perspective of Pharaoh, in the sight of Pharaoh. And this idea of like you made us, you made us this stink to Pharaoh, and it's your fault. You basically given given Pharaoh a sword to kill us. So imagine this. Imagine how Moses and Aaron are feeling in this situation, because they were Moses was already super apprehensive about this whole idea from the beginning. Remember, I mean, objection after objection after objection. He, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to. They're not going to. You know, believe. They're not going to know who you are. They're not going to listen to me. I can't even say what I would want to say. I can't even speak right. Whatever it might be, he was already resistant. He was already apprehensive, and now it's like, see God, I told you so, and that's kind of what happens here. Verse twenty-two. Then Moses turned to the Lord. And said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to the people, and you have not delivered your people at all. We're stuck. We've gotten nowhere. It's only gotten worse. Chapter 5, things just get worse for the people of Israel in this situation. So it's not even like they're stuck in traffic. It's like all their tires were flat. It's, it's just a situation where it does not work. And the challenge for the people of Israel in this moment is that it wasn't Moses and Aaron. It wasn't their fault. I mean, one way that we should look at it is, is that they, 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 they were, Moses and Aaron were already on the side of, 
of the Israelites. They are were already going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, against Pharaoh. Pharaoh was already going to be against them. They're not. They're not the ones who have led this charge of Pharaoh to be against them. They're they're experiencing it themselves. They are in it with the Israelites. So the Israelite foreman pointing fingers at Moses and Aaron. Moses then turns to God. Why is this happening? You haven't even delivered yet. Chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. So remember, remember the, this, this, the, the plagues that are starting to get set up even earlier in the beginning of chapter 5. This, this idea of like, I have, the stage is being set for Pharaoh to be this resistant and I, and I will prove how I can overcome. Verse, verse 1 again. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. Verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Let's stop right there. Stop right there at the end of verse 3. Because there's some controversy on what is being said here by God. He says, I did not make myself known to them. But we see in Genesis that he does make himself known. In fact, he does introduce himself. He, they know who God is. And so some have, have, have talked about how this is, um, you know, this is how the scriptures are put together that, you know, this is one contributor to this text and adding it here and trying to help shape, share the story or shape the story. But another way of looking at it is kind of how we're looking at Pharaoh, how, how this Pharaoh might have known who Yahweh is, but did not know Yahweh. There is something about how the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were introduced to God. They knew God, but here God and the character of God and the promise keeping of God is going to be fully realized here in this story. For they were given the promise, but now the people of Israel are going to know the result of this promise. They're going to know this name, this name of, of Yahweh, the one who delivers. So, verse 3, my, my name of the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Verse 4, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptian, Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Or, I love this, one translation says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with extraordinary chastisements for the people of Egypt and for Pharaoh. So here we see how God is saying, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to deliver. I'm going to follow through with my promise. And what's interesting about these, I will deliver. I will redeem. I will bring you out. I will I will, I will do this. The verbs being used here in these I will statements, it's, they're, 
it's, it's worded this way in our English translation so we can understand what's happening in the story. But the verbs that are used here are actually in past tense in the Hebrew. So the way that it's read in Hebrew, it's as if this has already happened. It's so certain from God that he is speaking as if it's already occurring. Now that, that might be hard for us if they try to do that in English. I don't, I don't know how I would do it. But you get the idea? The way that that is worded is that it is so certain from God's perspective that it is, it is written, it is, it's, it's, it's already happening. It's an already reality. This is what's taking place. You see that it says, I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Let's not, let's not miss this. It's very common for Egyptian kings to have this phrase used about them out of reverence, out of respect. Egyptian uh, texts refer to Egyptian kings as powerful of arm or the strong-armed, or the lord of the strong arm. So pharaohs and kings of Egypt were commonly referred to being the powerful of arm, the strong arm. And here, Yahweh is saying, I will redeem you with a powerful arm. And the conflict between Yahweh and Pharaoh is, is becoming clearer and clearer. I will take you, verse 7, to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for, for possession. I am the Lord. Verse 7, going back there, says, I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Remember what we were saying earlier, Pharaoh did not know Yahweh. Like, he could have known. But you shall know that I am the Lord. This comes up again in chapter 7. Uh, and, and Jenna is going to cover this. Right? Are you? Probably. Probably. Well, I mean, well, you're going to cover the text. You don't have to say anything about it. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up that the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord in verse uh, 5 of chapter 7. That it's, it's not just that the people of Israel, that, that everyone's going to know who this God is. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh Slavery, too crushed in this moment. They're too wrapped up in their circumstances to be able to hear these promises that are given to Moses. And that, that's something I think we could all understand. We can hear the promises of God. We can be assured about the goodness of God. But sometimes, sometimes the traffic is is too much. Sometimes the burdens are too much for us to receive that, to receive that encouragement, to receive that promise. Doesn't mean it's not still there. Doesn't mean the promise isn't good. 
doesn't mean that God's not going to follow through. It's just we're in this place where we have a broken spirit and we're too beat down to be able to receive it. And so that is what's happening with the people of Israel. They did not listen because of the broken spirit and harsh slavery. Verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the, about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So the Lord, we see that in verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh this is what's going to happen. It's like, haven't we gone over this before? Haven't I tried this? Haven't I tried, haven't I tried doing this? And we see, uh, yes, God it seems to be saying the same thing, but Moses comes back with another, another objection. It's not quite the same objection as before. Before it was like I couldn't speak. Now it's like, clearly my speech doesn't work because there's something wrong with me. When he says that I have uncircumcised lips. Like, before it was a, like a physical disability. Now it's a moral one. I, I, I basically, I'm unclean for this. I'm and, and this is this is key. This is I think it's helpful in understanding some of the some of the reasonings that people give in the Old Testament texts for what's happening. A lot of times, they will say how wicked they are, and this is why bad things are happening. And we that has affected the way that we think about God still today. Uh, but the idea is is that the people of God want to. That the way that they look at God is like God is supreme, God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, God could never mess up. So if something goes bad, it must be because I have done something wrong. Does that make sense? So that that's the way they look at it. Now, we look at it a little bit differently as we, get, as we learn about grace, as we learn about how what Jesus does for us. That, and, man, did we wrestle with this in Ecclesiastes or what? If you were, if you were part of our Ecclesiastes sermon series here at Pathway... The, the writer of Ecclesiastes is constantly like, you, it's, the idea is that if you do bad things, bad things should happen, but I see people getting away with stuff, and he's really conflicted about this, and Moses is, is in a set, essentially saying here, clearly there's something wrong with me. I am out of who I need to be, otherwise, what, what explanation is there that deliverance isn't happening? It clearly must be something wrong with me. So how can I be the one to do this? And again, it's set up to say that you can't. God is the one who's going to deliver. So there's a setup of the conflict between Pharaoh and Yahweh, who is ultimately going to be supreme in this, and also this, this raising up of Moses to recognize that he is not sufficient in his own, that God has to be the one to do this. Okay? He says, listen to me, how then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Verse 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge to go to Pharaoh. So this text, by the way, verse 10 and 12, is almost a mirror image 
of the very first couple verses that we're going to look at next time we get together. It's almost a mirror image of, of, uh, the, the, of chapter 6, verse 28 through 30. So you can look at that in your study as you, as you approach that next time. But the, and the reason why this is is because we're going to get into this, in this little passage here that seems to come out of nowhere. And I'm sure as you're studying, it's like, wait, what? why am I reading this? Here, here's this like dramatic story of, of you know, what's, what's happening between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. And then all of a sudden, verse 14, we get a genealogy. We get a list of names. And it seems to come out of nowhere. Verse 14, these are the heads of their father's houses. Sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Hannah, Kalu, Ezron, Carmine. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jamul, Jamin, Ohad, Shaheen, Zahar, and Shaul. The son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. So we have two sons mentioned of Israel, of Jacob. And then we get to verse 16. These are the names of the sons of Levi. So there's a third son. According to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merai, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. And here, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, stop. How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. Oh, yeah, we, yes, twelve. And we stop here at Levi. And that's key for this story. Stop at Levi. Verse 17, the sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uzziel, the years of the life of Kohath using, uh, being 133 years. We stop at Levi. We keep saying names, but these are the names that are the descendants of Levi. All right? Uh, verse 19, the sons of Moriah, Mahali, Mushi. I, I'm just guessing at this point on how to say these names. <laughs> these are the clans of the Levites, according to their generations. Amram took up as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izar, Korah, Ephem, and Sikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzahan, and Sikri. Verse 23, Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab, and the sister of Neheshon, and she bore him Nadab, Helu, uh, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasab. These are the clans of Korhites. Verse 25, Eliezer, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Petul, and she bore Phineas. These are the heads of the father's house of the Levites by their clans. Just a genealogy thrown in there. But it's not just a genealogy. It's not just a random list of names. What is happening here is is we are, we are stepping out of the story to get a better understanding of who God is working in and setting up. Because what we, what we know about Levi and the Levites is they are what? Priests. Priests. That's right. And so we see this, this, um, this system or this process of priests kind of coming about right here in this text. And that's why it's key that verses 10 through 12 sandwich verse 28 through 30, this text. I kind of think of it, if you've been watching the Olympics at all, if you've watched the Olympics over the last couple weeks, 
where you're, you're watching this competition, you're watching these games, some of which you've never watched in any other situation in life. Or you're watching these exciting you know, things, people going down on skis, doing tricks or whatever, and all of a sudden there's a break in this excitement and we, we're in the middle of Wyoming. We see this fields of Wyoming and a guy comes up and then there's a narrator's voice and so-and-so has been training for you know, 14 years for snowboarding to be here in the Olympics. And we introduce his family, we get some background, and we see like, him working on the farm and things like that. And it's like, I was trying to watch snowboarding. But now there's a snowboarder that's like being, being uh, featured here. We get to know the story, and we get to know some background, we get to know some insight and what what makes it tick, whatever it might be, and, and we're so, we're, we're brought into the story, and then we get back into the action. All of a sudden, we see the next guy going down the hill and doing the tricks on the snow. That's kind of what I mean, what I see here happening, is that we're in this story, but all of a sudden, we take this break, we get this feature on this family. And we're looking at how this family is being, and not just the past, not just going back to Israel, and his sons, but going forward, the, the, the children of Aaron and the priests that would come after, after Aaron. So we're looking back and looking forward in this genealogy. Verse 26, these are, the Aaron, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they, make this phrase is key, it was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. <laughs> I love that. I almost don't know how to, I didn't know how to read it at verse 26. These are the Aaron and the Moses. <laughs> it's like, it's very much setting up as like, just a different way to introduce them. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke this is so key. Think about how many times this has come up. I can't speak, or I don't know how to speak, or I'm morally just not in the right place to speak. By the way, we see that. I don't mean to distract or go too far off on this, but think about Isaiah when he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, when, uh, when he speaks before the Lord. Um, that, that same idea there. there. It's important that the mouth be addressed before the whole person is addressed. And that's what's happening with Moses. But again, it comes back to the mouth. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. So we, we end here at our text, at this place where the promise is still good. The promise is still true. And we hold on to it. And we... We're, getting, we're ramping up to a conflict where God is going to show Pharaoh through his outstretched arm that he is the one. He is the deliverer. He is the one to be trusted. He is the one to, to fear and respect and the one to believe in. So we can count on that. A lot of interesting things in this story, but remember the more we go through it, the more we know the God who is personal and present in the lives of these people, the one who reveals himself as the good deliverer. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us, and thank you for this time. I ask that you would bless our study as we go through the rest of our morning. 
for the rest of our time. Bless our study as we go through the rest of Exodus. I pray that you would continue to show yourself to us and how you are the one who is faithful and true and we can trust in you in all situations. Whether our, our lives are um, free and we're, and we're able to uh, just follow you with joy or whether our lives feel like they're stuck in traffic, we can trust in you and know that you are continuing to be there with us and to, and to go before us. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.